there has to come a point in your life where you, the head knowledge is not what saves you. It has to come a point in your life where you and your heart give your life to God. I could, if I could say it this way, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Have you ever misunderstood something before? It's a silly question. I know we all have. We've all misinterpreted or misunderstood something. There was a, a humorous commercial a uh, long time ago that came out and it was about a, a German Coast Guard who was, uh, didn't know English very well. And he was his first day on the job. He was a Coast Guard. He was at the command center. And he's filling around. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He doesn't speak English very well. And all of a sudden, a call comes through. Mayday. 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 And the guy is not really knowing what he's pushing buttons. And uh, then... Continuing the call, Mayday, Mayday, our ship is sinking. Our ship is sinking. And the German guard was confused and he picks up the, as the commercial goes, he picks up the intercom and uh, the radio and radios back, What are you thinking about? <laughs> and right then the commercial ends and uh, it's an ad for learning English, <laughs> how to learn English and improve your life and the life of others. I don't know how the story ended. It was supposed to be humorous. Um, sinking and thinking uh, is a detrimental uh, words there in that circumstance. We've all misunderstood things before. We've all misunderstood directions that were given to us. We end up lost. We, I mean, we live in a day and age of Google Maps, so it's harder to get lost, but we can still find a way to get lost sometimes. Even when I was a kid, we were on deputation, and we would drive around the states, and all we had was this big, massive atlas. Anybody remember those? We had the big one, because we drove cross-country in the states. And I got really good navigating. I'd flip this thing through. And the problem with atlases is they don't update roads as they're built, right? So sometimes I would say, turn left, and he would say, there's no left. I'd say, why? So we're not going to church today. <laughs> that should be right there. I don't know what to do. Directions. It used to be fun, you know? Yeah, just when you see the big rock, you turn left and you go all the way down the dirt road. They're not like that anymore. Husbands, have you ever misunderstood your wife before? I'll just continue on. I don't need to dwell on that subject for too long. Of course, uh, wives have misunderstood their husbands too, so it goes both ways. Maybe you've misunderstood a date to a certain event and you double booked it. You, you, you thought it was one thing and you misunderstood and it was actually here and Hard to, it, it, it seems like things like this happen. Maybe uh, you're cooking a recipe and you've misunderstood the recipe. Maybe you got tablespoon and teaspoon mixed up. I still get that mixed up. You got to look for the B, right? For the tablespoon. Or how about uh, baking soda versus baking powder? I still don't know the difference. Uh, Andre, you can explain it to me later. Or maybe I could just Google it like any normal person would. Most of these things you can misunderstand and you can, you can fix it. You know, over time, if you get lost to somewhere, you know, hopefully eventually you find your way. You can make a phone call and figure out where you are and, and get the right address. Husbands and wives, 
I misunderstand each other oftentimes, and through time and through communication, you can, you can fix some misunderstandings that can take place. If you, if you miss a date on something, unless you miss your wedding date or something like that, I don't know if you can come back from that one, but normally if you miss a date or something, you can, you can fix that. Cooking recipe, you can just make a new one. Most of these things can be salvaged. And even that humorous story, I don't know if the, they, you could salvage that one if they ended up sinking without any help. I don't know. But even if your misunderstanding leads to a physical pain or physical death even, that is nothing as detrimental. That is nothing as devastating as misunderstanding the salvation of your soul. A physical misunderstanding is one thing, but there is no coming back from a spiritual misunderstanding such as salvation. The Apostle Paul in this passage is afraid that many of the people in the church in Rome may have misunderstood what salvation truly is. Verse 1 presents the tremendous desire of Paul for all to be saved. Like, it's, like I just read, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And you know, that's the prayer of Grace Baptist Church, that we all might be saved. That's why on Saturdays we challenge you to join us. We go out door to door. And we, uh, right now we're just putting uh, gospel tracts in mailboxes. It's something simple. It's something small. We're trying to get the word out. When we gather for worship on Sundays and on Wednesdays, we preach the gospel. Our desire is that if you were to die today, you would know for sure that you would end up in heaven. You would be his Lord and you would be with the Lord forever. Our desire is that you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ right here, right now on earth. That is the desire of our church. That is the desire of us. But I fear that oftentimes there might be, even in this auditorium today, some people who have misunderstood what salvation really is. So in this passage, I want us to see four potential reasons why you may have misunderstood what salvation truly is. So you're in Romans chapter 10. Look with me now in verse 2. In verse 2, the Bible says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What's the first potential reason why you may have misunderstood what salvation truly is? The first is you serve God without really knowing Him. You serve God, but you don't really know Him. I had a friend in Bible college, and I've given uh, variations of this story before. But I have a friend in Bible college, and mind you, I'm in Bible college. I'm in, a, I'm in a, a place where you would assume everybody here loves God and is a Christian and wants to serve Him and has a heart for God. And in this Bible college, I, like I said, I, I had a friend, and this was my freshman year, my first year there. And I'm there, I'm excited, I've only been there for a, a couple months now, and I know that God's calling me to be a missionary. I don't know where. At the time, I didn't know I was coming here. I, had, I knew nothing about Grace Baptist Church or anything. I was just excited to, to serve the Lord. And uh, we had a guest preacher come in, and he preached a message on, 
on salvation, which I thought was odd. Why are you preaching on salvation in a Bible college? Like, it's kind of weird. You should be saving that sermon for somewhere else. But he preached a message, and it was a really powerful message, and he tells the story of his friend and they, how they grew up and they, they wanted to conquer the world together uh, for God and, and how his friend got saved at, at the age of like 18, 19 years old and it just really blew him away. And at the end of the message, he gave an invitation and there's about 13, 1400 people sitting in the auditorium and about two or three dozen people at least, at least, at least 30 people, college students went forward during the invitation and got saved, and gave their life to Christ. One of them was my friend, Edward. And I wasn't, I was a little bit stunned, but I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't mad at him. I was so happy that he had the courage in Bible college <laughs> to get saved. That's not easy to admit to your friends. Perhaps he'd been lying all these years. What about his calling? He felt he was called to be a preacher. Was that was that void now? Did he have to re-get that calling? There was a lot of things he had to go through in his mind. He ended up getting baptized again because the Bible says saved baptism is a, is a symbol, is, a, is a, an identification of your salvation. But if you get saved after your baptism, uh, then uh, baptism comes again second. This, act, this very thing happened to me in my life when I was younger. There's a lot of things going through his mind, but in that moment, he didn't care about any of it. He didn't care what anyone had to say. He didn't care if everybody hated him. He didn't care if everybody felt rejected. He knew one thing, that he needed Christ. And he was done pretending. And he went forward, and he got it settled. And when he looked up, he realized there was at least 30 other people who did the same thing. So you see, he served God, but he didn't really know him. Look with me in verse 10. You're in Romans chapter 10. Look in verse 10. The Bible says in verse 10, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. This is the problem with a lot of Christians today is we serve God. We, 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 want to, we want to serve God, but we don't really know him. We have a lot of knowledge of God in our heads, but according to verse 10, head knowledge doesn't save you. It's the heart. It's the heart believing in Jesus Christ in your heart. This is especially true for people that grow up in church. You grow up, or even just in, in a church setting, maybe even if it was Catholic or a different denomination, it doesn't matter, you grow up learning God and you're learning the Bible stories, and you have all this head knowledge of God. You know all the answers. Who died for your sins? Oh, I know Jesus. Jesus died for my sins. Great, great. Who was the first king of Israel? Oh, I know. It was Saul. Right, absolutely right. We know all the answers. We even memorize verses. We, we know these things. But it's just head knowledge, and there has to come a point in your life where you, the head knowledge is not what saves you. It has to come a point in your life where you and your heart give your life to God. I could, if I could say it this way, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. It's a friendship. Christianity is not just another religion you put on yourself. It's not just, oh yeah, I believe in the religion of Christianity. It's not a religion. It's the truth. It's, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
My friend grew up thinking all in his head the knowledge of God was good enough, but on that day he realized that his knowledge of God wasn't good enough. He had to come to God with a broken heart and ask God to be his Savior. You understand that you can grow up in church. You could never miss even a Wednesday service. You could memorize hundreds of Bible verses. You could even go soul winning with us on Saturdays. You could teach in junior church. You could be a faithful usher. You can go to all the teen camps and attend all the teen activities. You could never miss a sound booth meeting. Always say yes to the nursery if you're a worker. And not be saved. This isn't a, a topic I like to teach on. This is on why you might not be saved. But there's encouragement to come soon. I just want everybody in this room to examine their hearts. And I'm not here to make anybody doubt their salvation. That is not the, the, uh, the direction of this. I just want everybody in this room to search their heart and say, and, and know for sure. Because if you know for sure you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then you're smiling right now. You're saying, ah, I've settled this already. And now it's your turn to start praying for others in this room who might not. You understand today that this is a common mistake that Christians make, and Paul knew about this. This is not something new. This has been going on since the beginning of time. Thousands of years ago when Paul wrote the book of Romans, that this, when he wrote this letter, he knew and he feared that there might be some people, verse 2, that have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So the first common misunderstanding of salvation is that you, you, you serve God, but you don't really know him. But look with me now in verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The second misunderstanding you might have of salvation is that you don't understand God's righteousness. That's what it says in verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. In our heads, we know that God is holy. We know He's just. We know He's righteous. And we tend to think that God perhaps doesn't necessarily care about all the little aspects and little details of our life. We consider God a loving God. And He is. He's the most loving God. He's the only God. But he's the most loving being in this world that this world will ever know. But with that, we dismiss the fact that God is also a judge. He's a God that must judge sin. There is good and there's bad, and when bad happens, bad must be punished. We just heard the we just heard the the orchestra uh, the um, the quartet. What kind of man would show amazing grace to a world so full of sin? That's our Savior. But there is the other side, of, is that God is a judge. And in order for God to be holy, to be perfect, he must punish that which is imperfect. And there really is a place called hell. And people really will be going there. Sin and hell are my absolute least favorite topics to preach on. In fact, at this church, we, we really strive to uh, encourage and to build up. I know how it is. Monday through Saturday, we get beat up by the world, you know? Your ear. A lot of us live in the secular world. A lot of us go to schools, and we're around 
uh, we're around godlessness a lot, and we want to come to church and be encouraged. But let me tell you, this is one of the most encouraging messages you will ever hear. We go through depression and loneliness and anxiety, and we want to hear of Christ's love for us, and oh, we're going to hear from that in just a second. But the truth is, Jesus Christ, if you ever read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Christ preached on sin and hell almost more than anything else he preached on. Because the truth is, every minute, people are dying all around the world, and many of them are not going to heaven. Not because God wants that, but because people have chosen to reject Him. Some of them maybe even are good people, but even good people who haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will not spend eternity with Him in heaven. You see, the second misunderstanding people often make is that they don't understand the true nature of God. God loves all people, and the Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is for all of humanity to come to Him and, be, and, and, to, and to have a relationship with Him. That's God's desire. It is we that do the rejecting. It is we that do the unbelieving. God's righteousness describes His holiness and perfection. God demands perfection from His creation. But that's a problem. Can we be perfect? Can we go our lives without sinning? No, we cannot. It's a a large problem. Because of this problem, this, this imperfect problem that we have, we find ourselves venturing into this third misunderstanding. Look with me now in verse 3 again. It says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. You see, not only do we oftentimes misunderstand, uh, we, we serve God without really knowing Him, we misunderstand God's righteousness and that He must judge the world. But this third misunderstanding I find here in verse 3 is that oftentimes we think our righteousness is good enough. We think that we're good enough. I read this story. It took place back in 1986. Normally, the flight from Nassau to Miami took Walter Wyatt Jr. about an hour's flight. But on December 5th, 1986, he attempted it after, unknowingly, some thieves had looted the navigational equipment in his aircraft. And he was the pilot. And with only a compass and a handheld radio, Walter flew into the skies that were now being blackened by a storm. Okay, so not a good situation for Mr. Mr. Wyatt here. When his compass began to, to gyrate, began to vibrate there, Walter, Walter concluded that he was headed in the wrong direction. So he flew his plane below the clouds, hoping to spot something, but soon realized he was completely lost. He put out a mayday call. This is not connected to the the story I told earlier, okay? That would be funny, though. He put put out a mayday call, which brought a Coast Guard, uh, a Coast Guard Falcon search plane to lead him to an emergency landing strip about six miles away. But suddenly, Wyatt's right engine started to cough, 
and eventually died. The fuel tank had run dry, and around 8 p.m., Wyatt found himself gliding his plane into the, into the ocean. Wyatt survived the crash, but his plane disappeared very quickly, leaving him bobbing on the water in a leaky life vest. With blood dripping from his forehead, Wyatt floated on his back. Suddenly, he felt a hard bump against his body. A shark had found him. It just gets better, doesn't it? It's, good. it's a great story. Just an encouraging message. Suddenly, he felt the bump. Wyatt kicked the intruder and wondered if he would even survive the night. He managed to stay afloat for the next 10 hours while fighting off sharks that were circling him. In the morning, Wyatt saw no airplanes, only dorsal fins in the water floating around him. Twisting and turning, he would constantly feel the bumps up against himself, these sharks constantly bumping him, trying to tip him over, trying to see what he was. Finally, as he was kicking and screaming and in desperation, getting near exhaustion, not even sure if he can keep himself floating any longer, he finally heard the sound of a distant aircraft. When it was within a mile, a half mile's reach, he waved his orange vest as high and as hard as he could with what little strength he had left. The pilot radioed Cape York, which was 12 minutes away. Get moving! There's a shark coming near this guy. So the airplane gets in and pulls alongside Wyatt. A ladder drops over and Wyatt, not even having the strength to pull himself up, was carried and lifted up onto the ladder and safely aboard the craft. He had been saved. Wyatt didn't need encouragement or better techniques to save himself. Nothing less than an outside intervention could have rescued him from sure death. There was nothing that Wyatt could do while floating on his back in the ocean. There was nothing he could do to save himself. The only thing that could save Wyatt was something else. Something had to be done in his life. His strength was gone. He was weary. The sharks were closing in. How much are we like Walter Wyatt? There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from eternal destruction. You can be the best person you can possibly be. You can keep as many of the laws as you possibly can, but still fall short of God's standard perfection. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 23 of the same chapter says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can be the best person you can possibly be, but according to Romans 3.23, you will fall short every time. Because we can't be perfect. The standard is God. God is holy. He is perfect. And no matter how high you jump and how hard you swim, you'll never reach His perfection because there is none that are truly righteous in this world except for God Himself. And to be fair, to be unfair, we never had a chance. 
You realize that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their punishment, there was a couple of punishments, but their overall punishment for sinning was death. When they lived in the Garden of Eden, there was no death. Animals did not die. They did not eat each other. There was, there was perfection. Adam and Eve did not live in a body that was going to die. They were going to live in a body that was going to essentially live forever. There was the tree of life there. I mean, everything was perfect. But the moment they sinned, death began. The clock of their life started. And now every person that's born after them is not born in a perfect body, but born with that clock starting the moment we're born. Death is upon the whole world, and you were born that way. We, the, Bible, the Bible calls it, it was imputed unto us. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The very existence of death proves we are all sinners. Oftentimes, too, we look at this, this man's crazy story, how he was saved from, a, from, a, from shark-infested waters after surviving a plane crash. And oftentimes, we can look at a story like that and say, and I have similar story, nothing like sharks. I wish it was, well, I don't wish it was that cool, because that's a terrible story. But, you know, I have a similar story. When I was a young kid, I slipped and fell into a hot tub. My parents weren't around. I was young, I didn't know how to swim, I was drowning in some random guy I never met at a hotel in his work boots. He had his, uh, he had his, uh, his steel toe boots on, he was all sweaty and greasy, and he jumps in and he saved me. Picked me up and he sent me down. My parents were in, in the area, but they weren't, they were, uh, I had run ahead of them through the gates. I slipped in. This guy saved me. And my and I don't know who this guy is. I, you know, I, I'll never, I, don't, I probably will never see him again. Even if I did, I wouldn't recognize him. You know, I could look at that story and say, wow, God saved me from dying that day. You would probably agree with me, right? God had something to do with saving me that day. And I could look at that story and say, that's the day I got saved. But you know what? Had I, I was probably four or five years old when that happened. Had I died years later, never having accepted Christ as my Savior, even though God saved me from that water, that's not the salvation we're talking about. There are people who get saved from tragedy all over the world and have never accepted Christ as their Savior. I've been saved from car crashes before. I remember when I just got my license, I wasn't the greatest of responsible people. I remember spinning out on the highway. Full 360, had cars going past me and slamming into the guardrail and just what just happened, my life flashing before my eyes. I could have died there. I don't know. But you know what? That wasn't my salvation. I could still have died in that. I could have survived that and the next day slipped on a banana peel, broke my neck, and if I hadn't accepted Christ as my Savior, I wouldn't be in heaven. There may be a story or a feeling that you're that you're clinging to as your salvation from God, but none of these things can save you. The only thing that will save you is your belief in Jesus Christ. The day that you, your heart was broken, you repented of your sins, and you allowed God to come into your life and save you. Every one of us will die someday unless perhaps the rapture happens in our lifetime. Which leads us to our last misunderstanding. Look in verse 3. For they 
being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The last misunderstanding we could have of salvation is this. That you haven't fully submitted yourself to God's righteousness. You haven't submitted yourself. You know that word submission is a negative word. If you play in sports, do you want to submit when you're in wrestling? If you're wrestling somebody, and to submit, what does that mean? You give up, right? You surrender. You're, you're, sometimes it's not you, but you're... Your coach has to throw in the white towel, right? It's done. It's over. Cut the fight. You're, I don't want you. I want you to be able to fight again. In war, if you're the one fighting, if you submit, is that good? If you wave the white flag of surrender, is that a positive thing? Generally, no. That means you're you're giving up. You're lose. You lost. If you're in chess and you see you've lost, you grab your king and you tip it over. You're submitting. You're giving up. You realize you've been defeated. Normally in the world, submission is a bad thing, but in God's case, it's the greatest thing you could ever do. To admit you can't do it anymore. To quit. To give up. And say, God, I'm done. I'm, I'm, free. I, I, I'm tipping myself over. I'm throwing in the white flag. I am submitting to you, God. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I need you to come into my life and change me. That's the submission that God is looking for. The day that we give ourselves to God and we allow Him full access to our life. Are you saved today? Not trying, like I said, to overcomplicate salvation because salvation is very simple. A little child can do it. Salvation is really as simple as repenting of your sins and believing in Christ. That's what it is. But in all the turmoil and confusion of our day, with all the different opinions and religions and, and political views that flood the news and internet on a daily basis, we tend, we tend to overcomplicate what God intended to be simple in the first place. So I ask you today, are you saved? Do you have a true personal relationship with Christ? Have you ever prayed with a broken heart to ask God to truly forgive you of your sins and truly admit that you believe that God is the one true God? If you haven't done it yet, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If you could stand with me now as we <clears throat> excuse me, close in prayer. Lord, Thank you for today. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.